0: Welcome to the Dakota Rustler Show, aiming to keep America, its citizens, and minds free. Now here's your host, Daryl Root. Hello everybody. Uh, thank you, Arabelle. I am Daryl Root. This is the Dakota Rustler Show. Today's topic is economic physics, the unseen half. Uh, We're going to get into how the government likes to tell you they are creating wealth and making everybody a little bit richer. And this particular episode is going to debunk that theory. They do not create wealth. All they do is spread it around, taking from one and giving to another. However, before I get into that, I want to do a few shout-outs and credits to the people and programs that make this show happen. I haven't done that yet, and I need to do that. First of all, LibreOffice. LibreOffice is a compatible program to Microsoft Office. However, it's free. It does everything Microsoft Office does. I use it to put together an outline and, in some cases, script a program. So I want to do a shout-out to LibreOffice. I want to do a shout-out to the Audacity program software. It is what I record this program on. It allows me to edit it and put together a really decent show. At least I'd like to hope to think I'm getting to the point where I'm doing a really decent show. also want to do a shout-out to Arbel Kimmich with Fiverr.com. F-I-V-E-R-R.com she does a great voiceover on in the intro and the outro at the end of the show. I also want to do a shout out to Danheim which is the for which the uh, musical clips are taken from. I want to do a shout out and give credit to buzzsprout.com. They are the company that they're the company that hosts my podcast. I simply upload it to Buzzsprout.com, and they share it with Spotify, TuneIn, and Heart. So I want to give them a shout-out. So let's get back to the main topic, Economic Physics, the Unseen Half. What do I mean by this? Well, it's fairly simple, or at least I'm going to try to make it so. One of the basic rules of physics that everyone should have learned in school, assuming they still teach it, is this. Oh, by the way, if you like drinking games, do not take a shot every time you hear this phrase over the next 30 minutes. You will die from alcohol poisoning. Seriously, though, the rule is this. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. We all should have learned that in school. I know I did, and hopefully everybody today is too. But again, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Here's an example. Let's say someone burns a log in a fireplace. Or maybe a fire pit if they're outdoors. Most people will see the log getting smaller and smaller and smaller as it burns up. Virtually everyone will acknowledge the heat that it provides. It feels good on a cold night. But, do they think about all the unseen chemical reactions that go on? Not only does the burning log provide energy in the form of heat, But eventually, it all disperses into various other forms, such as carbon dioxide, and it also leaves a residue of ash among other things. As I said, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. In this case, the physical matter in the log has been redistributed. Let me give you another example, minus the chemical reaction this time. Imagine you're in your kitchen and you want to make a gallon of tea. Or you have kids, maybe you want to make Kool-Aid. Do they still even make that? I don't know. Anyway, you reach up into the cupboard, you grab a gallon jug, and you set it on your countertop. Once you brew a concentrated batch of tea on your stove, which is what I do, you pour it into the jug and then proceed to fill the rest of the jug with water. And voila! You have a picture full of tea. The jug is no longer empty. But what most people don't recognize is that the jug was never really empty at all. What went unseen is the fact that the jug was full of air. The mixture of the tea only displaced the air with a liquid. For every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. In this case, the air went away and the liquid filled the jug. The air you can't see, the jug you do see. The water in the jug is government telling you how they're spending their money and how it's creating wealth, but the air is what they don't tell you about. In order to move that wealth around, they have to take it from somewhere else. So how does this fit in with economics? Well, let's get started. Let's say you have $20 in your right front pants pocket. If you take $20 and move it over to your left front pocket, no wealth has been created. Nor has any wealth been destroyed. The money has only been redistributed from one pocket to another. Let's take it a step further. Let's say you give that $20 to your neighbor out of the goodness of your heart. Again, no new wealth has been created. Nor has any wealth been destroyed. It has only been redistributed. Your neighbor is $20 richer. You, on the other hand, well, you're $20 poorer. If, in turn, your neighbor gives that money to, say, oh, I don't know, the local church, again, no new wealth has been created or destroyed. It simply has been redistributed one more time. The process then keeps going and going on and on and on, one right after the other. Now, let's take that same situation and add another key factor. If you can grasp this concept, you'll be smarter than 95% of the people out there. And that includes many of the so-called economic experts. Why? Because most people only see the money factor. They don't see the unseen half, as I mentioned in my title. Let's say you give that neighbor the same $20, but instead of charity, it's because your neighbor cleared your driveway after a snowstorm. You're still $20 poorer, and your neighbor is still $20 richer. However, you saved a lot of time and labor while your neighbor expended a lot of time and labor. Again, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. You save labor, your neighbor expends labor. So now we have a mix of values. If you value your time and labor involved more than the $20, you win. If your neighbor values the $20 more than the time and labor spent clearing your driveway, your neighbor also wins. This is how the free market works between willing partners. However, if you both you and your neighbor value time and labor and the $20 equally, the deal is dead. Why? Because your neighbor will tell you to clear your own driveway. Economics not only needs to consider the money, but all the elements that go into why money exchanges hands. Our government almost always ignores this. They pass taxes and regulations without ever considering how people respond outside of the money factor. Now let's go one step further. Remember when I said that $20 gets passed forward over and over and over again, making it seem as though everyone is getting richer? Well, it looks true on the surface. As I said, governments at all levels like to remind us of it. What doesn't get noticed is all the loss of transactions that go unseen, the people who didn't get the $20. If you pay your neighbor for that snow removal, that's $20 less you have for food or clothing. The grocer then, or the local target in the case of clothing, now has $20 less In turn, their suppliers get $20 less and on and on and on. So for everybody who got $20 on and on and on that year, you originally passed to your neighbor everyone else who would have been in the process of you spending it elsewhere didn't get it and this doesn't even include tax revenues that governments would be deprived of from the lack of sales however it would be that too would be made up elsewhere when your neighbor continues to spend that $20 again for every react or for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction the economic chain flows both ways and at all times. Okay, we've covered the law of physics. We've covered displacement. We've covered the value of money versus time and labor. And we've begun to hit on the concept of what is spent in one area is money that can't be spent in another area. Now, let's think list to how government works or at least how government claims to work. But because you're listening to this podcast, you're going to learn how government doesn't really work at all. They're only brainwashing you into thinking so. All they really ever do is spend money without creating a single penny of wealth. Government does not create wealth. Only people can create wealth through their work and through efficiencies. To start this example, I'm going to ask you to use your imagination. Imagine there's a river flowing from east to west, and it's called, I don't know, Separation River. On the north side, in one county, is a town called Northtown. On the south side of the river, in another county, is a town called, uh, you guessed it, Southtown. They both have a couple of gas stations, they both have churches, they both have bars, grocery stores, maybe a couple of restaurants. You know, the common things that most every town has, no matter how big or small it is. But each town also has some specialty stores, which in itself is also normal. Life generally goes pretty good in each town, but because there is no bridge between the two towns, whenever somebody wants to go to the town on the other side, they have to drive a long way around to wherever the nearest bridge going across the river is. This was an actual situation in my old hometown in Pennsylvania. There were many places where there were towns on opposite sides of the river, but they had to go to a bigger town to find a bridge to cross over. And that's what kind of inspired this example. One day, the mayors and city councils of both towns decided it would be a great idea to build a bridge between the two. Well, after much debate and talk, both towns decided this is worth proceeding with. Both believe it will bring extra money into their towns, their businesses, and hence also to their citizens. Well, if you've been paying attention, you likely know where I'm about to go with this. As I said, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. In this case, it happens at least twice. In the first case, it happens with the bridge itself. Materials have to be brought in and paid for. Labor has to be contracted and paid for, not to mention all the costly studies that regulation usually requires, because, heaven forbid, fish might be affected, or another of a gazillion reasons. Uh, If you go back a couple podcasts ago, I did a regulations podcast explaining how regulations affect things. To continue, though, everything passes in time and construction starts. For a while, the workers bring in extra money. And sure, all seemed great. And this is what the mayors and city council said would happen. You can see it with your eyes, day in and day out. You see the workers working. You see the bridge gets nearer to completion day after day, and so on. But what you didn't see but once a year, or maybe twice, is all the extra money paid in taxes through property taxes to build the bridge. Or it could have been brought in through other various taxes they put on you if the bridge costs two million dollars to build which is actually cheap but it's a nice number to use as an example that's two million less dollars over time as most big projects are financed long term the citizens have to spend elsewhere that's two million less including the businesses in their own towns So as you can see, this is taking money away from their town and diverting it to a bridge. Sure, maybe the state and federal governments kick in some funds, but that goes both ways too. You may benefit from that now, but in the long run, you're also paying for bridges in other parts of the state and country that you'll probably never use. As I said, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Second... Let's advance a couple of years. The bridge is finished. It's been in use for a long time. And the citizens have been crossing Separation River for months on end. People in Southtown can now shop in Northtown. People in Northtown can now shop in Southtown. All supposedly is fantastic. But suddenly, at one of their meetings... The city councils on both sides realize they aren't bringing in any more money than they were before. Why? Economic physics, as I said in my title. The Northtown citizens are now doing some of their shopping and spending in Southtown, which, as you know by now, comes at the expense of the businesses in their own hometown. The reverse is also true. Southtown residents, by spending money in Northtown, are spending less than they used to in their hometown. Now if you assume the overall business atmosphere in each town provides the same degree and quality of service and products each town over time will balance out to their they will balance their revenues to what they were before minus of course the original cost of the bridge so they're so they're actually at a loss sure Some businesses in both towns are likely to do better. The same as some businesses in both towns will do worse. In all likelihood, however, the overall net result of each town as a whole will balance itself out. Once again, say it with me. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So the only person that matters, the only question that matters is this. Does the value of having more shopping options outweigh the cost of having those options. The same as, as I said earlier, is the value of not having to clear my driveway of snow worth the $20 to have it done. For some, the answer will be yes. For others, well, the answer will be no. Now let's project this into the cities of Minneapolis and Atlanta, two cities which built new stadiums in recent years. Legislators only bragged about how this would bring money into the cities, money for the stadium vendors, nearby hotels, nearby restaurants, which in turn, those places would spend money at other nearby businesses. Money, money, money. What they didn't say, as you should know by now, was the unseen. For every dollar spent at business A, one less dollar spent at business B. One could argue that debt spending allows for growth, but at some time, that too has to be paid for, and with interest, which actually creates a loss. At any given time, and everybody needs to understand this, it's integral to this whole thing. At any given time, there is only so much money in the money supply. Government, taxation, and regulation, for whatever reason or purpose they use it on, only redistributes the wealth. It does not create wealth. Let me repeat that. Government taxation and regulation, for whatever reason or purpose that they want to spend it on, only redistributes the wealth. It does not create wealth. Government spending is just the oversized version of me giving my neighbor $20, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. There's also another intangible concern we need to throw into the economic physics. That's enjoyment. I just mentioned Minneapolis and Atlanta. Let's say I want to go see a Vikings game. Let's also say a ticket for a decent seat costs 100 bucks. Do I value the enjoyment I will get from going to the game more than the value of the $100? That's important. Personally, my answer is No. I get what I consider a much better experience watching it from the comfort of my home, actually there I don't have to pay outrageous prices every time I get hungry or get thirsty, and I don't have to walk two hundred yards to a restroom when I need it. You on the other hand, your answer may be yes you tickets may be worth a hundred dollars to you so now you've covered many consideration when considerations when it comes to economics costs. Time, labor, number of options, enjoyment or dislike of an activity, and there's others. How many times do politicians, or even most economics, ever mention all of these? You see them on TV every day, you hear them on the radio, they rarely ever mention it. Now let's divert ourselves for a bit. I'm sure most of us have seen the movie Castaway. Or are familiar with the old show, Gilligan's Island, where seven people are stranded on a deserted island and through Gilligan's blunders they can never seem to get off the island? Well, economic physics come into play here, too. The person standing on the island alone has a lot of choices to make. Build shelter, they can gather food, they can gather water, they can make fire for warmth... They can design a rescue sign in case there's a plane fly over to see them. They they need to access safety issues such as dangerous reptiles or mammals, and a host of other things. All these things have to be assessed immediately following being stranded. And, of course, they're based on a particular situation at the time. If it's storming out, finding shelter will be your first priority. If it's cold, building a fire or insulating yourself will take priority. All things balanced, finding potable water may take priority. After all, we can only live a few days without that. But what all these have in common is this. They all come at the expense of the others. If you're building shelter, you're not designing a rescue sign. If you're designing a rescue sign, you're not gathering water. Again, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. But what if you're stranded on that same island with six other people? Food and water requirements will now be sevenfold. It's going to take seven times as much. But building shelter, well, that can be shared. Building a rescue sign can be shared. Gathering firewood can be shared. The most effective way to do things is for each individual to do what they are best at, or at least be in charge of what they're best at, keeping in mind skill, enjoyment, options, and other things. To have people do what they hate doing, or what they're not good at doing, makes for inefficiency. It also makes for bad attitudes. Hence, it lowers full production value. Our economy works in the same way. If government puts in price controls or wage controls, what people used to enjoy doing, it probably won't hold the same value anymore. Lowering the reward almost always reduces the value of what someone does. The consumer may like it because it means lower prices, the reaction, but the producer will not because it means less income for him or her, which is the equal and opposite reaction. As a result, some people will quit, some businesses will go out of business, and we'll have less of what we need instead of more, which is usually what price controls are put on. This results in something lower than full production value. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. The same thing happens with rent control or low-cost housing. If there is little profit to be made, the supply will shrink because few will want to do it, unless, of course, they value charity above paying their bills. Uh, Taxation will have the same effect. If you tax a business and reduce their profits, many will leave the industry for greener pastures. This creates a false shortage in one industry, further driving up prices, and a false abundance of supply in another, driving down prices. In both cases, the consumer is affected one way, while the supplier is affected in the opposite way. This time, you can say it to yourself, I don't think I need to. Needless regulation, then, that which goes beyond obvious safety measures, also has the same effect. It increases the price of production, and more often than not, the cost is passed on to the consumer. And as the costs go up, the consumer is less likely to buy the product or service. They will take their money elsewhere. One company benefits at the expense of the other. It happens with every transaction that is ever conducted. This also goes back to the coercionism style of government I talked about in my last podcast, using regulations to alter our behavior. It, In turn gives us an altered supply and demand equation versus what it would have been had we not done any social engineering. What we truly want has been adjusted to what our overlords demand we want. That, my friends, is not freedom. It's dictating. While the Democrats and the Republicans, while they may both be happy with that, as libertarians, I am not happy with it, and the rest of us libertarians are not happy with it. Now, for one last example of economic physics before I sign off. You can continue to listen to the other two-party podcast, and I encourage you to do so every now and then because you can only learn by listening to everyone. Or you can continue to listen to the show where the unseen half is not forgotten or ignored. I think that's going to cover it for now. Thank you for tuning in. Hopefully, you learned something. Please tune in next time. Till then, be safe, be free, and pay to Thank you for listening to the Dakota Russell Show, a production of D.L. Root. All rights reserved by D.L. Root, Buzzsprout.com, and their shared partners. Unauthorized use is prohibited. This show is sponsored by Camp Bridger Seasonings. Products available at campridger.net.